You're listening to Strictly Anonymous on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Welcome to the Strictly Anonymous Podcast. Conversations with online strangers. We place ads online. Craigslist is definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Real people respond. You go to Singapore or Thailand. You can't not do it. The temptation is just too much. Real problems. Does your friend know that you're banging her? No, he has no idea. And anything goes. Motto of the show, let your Greek flag fly. Probably the only good advice I'll ever give you is to rehide your whips and chains. Here is your host, Kathy. Hey, welcome to Stephanie Thomas Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow the Strictly Anonymous podcast on Twitter, follow the show at Strictly Anonymous or me at Cartoon Therapy. You can, if you can write a review for my show, write a review. Thanks to the people that have wrote reviews recently. I see them. I love them. They're always very beneficial to the show. Uh, I see the ones in the United States. If you post in other countries, I, I, I don't see them unless I switch countries. But if I don't know that you wrote one, I can't really see it because I don't know where to check. Do you understand? <laughs> but if you're in, I only get people that email me like within the United States to be on my show. If you want to be on my show, I'm always looking for people to call in. And with WhatsApp and Viber and all these like things to do nowadays, like I could totally have people from other countries call in. I don't know why people don't ever contact me from other countries to be on my show. I know people from other countries listen to my show. <laughs> so if you're in another country or the United States and want to be on my show, this is a call and advice show where I talk to t- people about their personal lives, you know, their secret lives. I give people advice. If you have a problem, you want to call in, send me an email at strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com or go to my website, strictlyanonymouspodcast.com and click on be on the show. If you want to write, read a book I wrote, I wrote and drew a book. It's a graphic novel. It's kind of funny. It's about like really bad relationships, really bad relationships that I had. They're just funny. It doesn't even matter if they're true or not. They, they kind of are. I mean, they really are true. <laughs> They don't seem to because they're so ridiculous, but they they kind of are. But it's like, who gives a shit about my memoir? You know what I mean? But I think even if they're not true and they're not about a real person, they're just fucking funny because and they would make you feel better about yourself. So if you want to buy my book, you could buy that also on my website, strictlynomispodcast.com. Click on buy the book. Um, today I have on a lost episode. It was like, a, it should have been a part of my where are they now episodes. Um, but I lost like a SIM card and then I found these, I have a couple of them. Uh, this one I have to do a separate and alone instead of pairing it with the other ones that I just found because it was like an hour. Um, I reached out to Marie who was episode, she was on previously this year. Her name was Marie. She got dumped by a polyamorous guy named Rob who was on my show a couple of weeks before she came on. And that's a whole interesting thing. We discussed like how she found my show and what happened with him. And we go over that a little bit in this episode. So you'll hear all about that. I'm not going to say it now. Um, But if you want to listen to her first episode, it's number 178. Um, Marie got dumped by polyamorous Rob. Um, What I'll say is that like in that episode, she talked about going sober. So when I reached out to her, I wanted to know whether she was still sober and what her deal was. And that's what we talk about in this episode. So it's interesting. It's all about sobriety. It's about polyamory. It's about sex addiction. Um, You know, is Marie still sober? Is she still polyamorous? Is she still pining for Rob? Uh, That's what we talk about. You'll find out all about that, all the answers to all those questions and more on this episode. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I actually reached out to her because it's like only like a short, uh, well, it, there's a couple of months actually since we sp- spoke and I wanted to see if she's still actually doing some of the same things that we spoke about and she hasn't got back to me and I have to say this, okay, people love when I have female callers on and I love when I get female callers on because I don't really get many of them but 
there's this weird thing with girls in my show that I have to just tell you about. Like really when guys come on my show, like right afterwards, they're always emailing me like, oh my God, that was like the best experience ever. It was so good to finally talk about it. They're like my best friends. Like it takes them a while to like really cut the cord and actually stop talking to me because they really like enjoy the experience. Um, but with women, and some of them aren't like this, but a lot of them, like the, the drunk girls, the recent girl that I had on, remember that said she was like worked at a happy ending place, but it was kind of like she was an escort. And then the fucking Molly, the Mormon, where the fuck is she? Okay. Like these people like disappear the girls after they're on my show. Like, and I, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. Like what happens to women after they air their dirty laundry? That's different uh, to what happens to men. Cause all the men have such great experience. And then like, I would say, 75% of the women just like fucking disappear and never talk to me again. <laughs> and I don't get it. It's like, am I mean to them? Or like, do you think maybe girls have like, think about it more and they get freaked out that they put it out there? I mean, half of them, I change their voice. I'm very nice to them. Um, so I don't really, I don't really know. But if you're a girl and you want to be on my show and you don't think you'll like have, I don't know, like regrets afterwards, because I kind of feel bad, you know, um, send me an email. But I guess this is like no girls are ever going to write in after I, I just said that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm still looking for girl callers. And it's funny, I emailed Molly. Did I say that? This girl, not Molly, Marie, the girl on my show today. And I didn't hear back from her either. So I don't know what's wrong with these girls, but um, hopefully they're, they're, it's just a thing where maybe they, I don't know. Anyway, so if you want to be on my <laughs> show, how do I segue out of what I just said? Because it's so dumb. I should have never said it. I could really tape a whole new um, intro, but I don't feel like it. So I'm just going to keep it on. Um, and I'm going to be right back on with the episode with Marie. I'll be right back on with Marie. <laughs> Do you have a story, lifestyle, or situation you can't talk about to anyone, to anyone? Or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show? Well, Strictly Anonymous wants to hear from you. Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is strictly anonymous. Strictly uh, anonymous. Hey, Marie. Welcome to the uh, Where Are They Now update end of the year special. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. You're doing very good, actually, because this is the deal about you. I'll give you a little backstory, but people could go and listen to your first episode because it was really great like what had happened with you that was really interesting is I had on a guy named Rob who I'm hoping to get an update on him too and he was a polyamorous guy who had a relationship with a couple of girls and you were one of them and he spoke about you as like an anonymous person on this episode right and then you emailed me and were like I was the person who dated Rob and we broke up <laughs> And I had predicted predicted your guys' breakup, right? And you called in to talk all about it. And we talked about that. But what also we got into was um, your recent sobriety, right? Like when we spoke, you were like uh, like only almost like a, a little bit over a month sober, right? Um, and you were not polyamorous or I don't know. like Because now what's going on with you now, fast forward like what, eight months later or whatever it is, you are in a really, you're still sober, which is great. And you'll get into details about this. You're also in a relationship that started out poly, but now is monogamous, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you're still 
I haven't really gone over the Rob thing for some reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, and we talked a lot about this on that episode, I think, like when you have relationships, and I think anybody that has some sort of dysfunction, you know, because some people are normal and they don't have these problems, but I'm more like you, right? <laughs> and I think like when you have like sort of issues that are unresolved and, you know, you, you there are certain relationships that come into your life and it's the real powerful ones that are really hard to shake. It's because they're pushing all your dysfunctional buttons, right? Because like something about that person or that situation is like so similar to whatever kind of story you're telling yourself, you know? So I think it's very common that, you know, maybe you can't shake it. Not because he was so great, because he was kind of like a selfish asshole. It was more so, I think, because there's something about that specific relationship that is like, you know, a bigger issue for you just in your life in general, right? It's not really him. It's like the, the story. That's what I think. Because I've had the same thing. Like some things are really hard to let go of or get closure, you know, and I feel like that pull isn't so much about the person. It's more about, you know, whatever they're sort of representing in my dysfunctional life. <laughs> Do you think that's mm-hmm. right? Um, maybe. I don't know that I'm there yet. <laughs> but maybe, maybe. Because you think it's like him still? I'm not sure. I mean, to go back to that situation, I think, yeah, maybe I'm still like wearing rosy colored glasses, but I think he and I really trauma bonded Uh because we have similar pasts and experiences and problems with addiction. And we were sort of each other's like life preservers at the time. Uh And even though we were both in our shit and doing shitty things to each other, it, we could like relate and I think the other people we were seeing or dating at that time like didn't weren't addicts didn't know what it's like you know to be in that um I know for me you know as we talked about in the past episode I went to rehab when I was 15 and then I was in NA for a long time and so when I was dating like five or six people at once earlier this year Rob was the one person who was sober. And when I was with him, I was sober. Everybody else I was screwing around with, I was drunk when I was, you know, acting out with them. So I think for me, he represented that safe place where, like, he would still like me even though I'm a fucked up person. Right, but also he <laughs> and was, I just, but the whole thing, the, the whole dynamic about relationship and why it went sort of bust was he was in a relationship with somebody and then they sort of opened it up and you were like the other woman, right, that came in as, and, and was you weren't the other woman anymore. You were in an open relationship, but you still were sort of treated like the other woman, right, because there was like some deception that was still going on, right? And he couldn't really tell. And that's right. why everything sort of blew up, right? Yeah, they had started polyamorous and he actually like met her. She was the second girlfriend when he had a different girlfriend and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, and he and I were dating. We were probably like four months into dating and they were like nine months into dating. And she just kind of, she wanted me to be like a friend of his that he slept with as opposed to like, somebody she cared about and was a romantic partner. And when she found out that that delusion was not true, you know, she kind of ultimatumed him. Like, it's me and only me or nothing. Right. Um, But the only reason why I bring that up, because I want to fast forward to where we are now, and people could go listen to Rob's 
uh, podcast to hear like his side of the thing. And it was kind of funny in that episode because I was like, oh, you're this is like something's wrong here. Like this is not going to go right. Like your girl does not seem into this. Right. Like I called him out on that. And that's when you emailed me and said like you were fucking right. His girl didn't like it and we broke up because of it. But what you stated in your email to me when I asked you for an update, you, you know, you, you're sober for like all this time now and you're doing a lot of self-reflection and a lot of work on yourself, right? What else can you do when you're totally sober, right? Um, and you said right. like you came to the realization that like, like a lot of things about yourself. And one of the realizations you came to was that like sex addiction is probably like your biggest one, right? And there is a part of you that gets off in being the other woman and what that brings to you, right? You said two things, which is very interesting to me because I've been the other woman in a lot of scenarios too. And I was like, oh, I never sort of looked at it that way. But you said what that does for you is it makes you feel, well, why don't you explain what it does for you? Or what it did for you in those scenarios and why you sort of, you know, seeked it out? Well, a little, because I've contemplated this a lot in the last nine months, um, I think because I was sexually objectified and catcalled and all and exposed to porn as like a single digit child, um, I internalize that as power. Mm-hmm. You know, look like catcalling is a man giving you power. Like, look how stupid and ridiculous men are that I can walk by and divert their attention. Right. Let me use this to gather energy like a succubus, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, taking virginities was my jam in high school. And then later in life, it was enabling affairs. And I definitely did that with Rob. Like, his girlfriend, what she, he told her about me was not the reality of the situation. So it was cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved being the other woman because it was like, it was like being in a divorcee weekend dad, kind of. Like, I got to be the fun one. I got to... You got to tell me your fantasies that your wife or girlfriend wasn't fulfilling, and I got to do them. I got to be whoever you needed at the time, and that kept me safe because you didn't have to see me. I got to be whatever your fantasy was, and it also prevented, like, the guys would have more to lose than me. I'm single. I'm in my 30s. I don't have kids. Like, I have a house. I don't, I don't need them, mm-hmm. but they need me to just, like, feel relief. And how would most um, of those really, relationships end with you with these people, these affairs? Um, you know what? Pretty much all of them. And that's what really crushed me back in March. The probably four to six people I was regularly seeing all broke it off with me on their own accord because they <laughs> oh were going God. to be monogamous. <laughs> right. whoever so you're a whole, no, but in a weird way, think about it, right? Like you were, you were getting to the place cause I believe this in a, in a thing, like you were getting to a place in your life where you were ready for a complete change. Obviously, maybe you didn't even know it, but on some level you were building up to this whole sober thing, this whole, right. And like, it, yeah. it, it is yeah. interesting that all of that bullshit, that thing that on some level you didn't want to do anymore, right? Like, I know it was a subconscious probably switch in you, right? And so all of that garbage like left your life, right? And you were left with like, you know, being vulnerable and sort of having to deal with like what that meant and be sort of bare without all that fake power, right? Because all that is is bullshit fake power, right? You didn't yeah, have any totally. and when they all it's dumped all you, you, know. you realize that, right? So yeah. that, that's all going control. What? 
I said it's all ego and control. Like yeah. I realized that my addiction was basically externalizing my self worth. Mm-hmm. If whoever I could be, whoever's fetish or fantasy, and they wanted me, that gave me worth because I didn't have any on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, like externalizing that power, you know, it's, that is that is addiction, right? You're looking for any solution to your problems except for a higher power or yourself. (laughs) Right, of course. And don't you feel though that like maybe that's why the Rob thing like felt so powerful to you because you did, not only were you the other woman, like that power maybe that you felt over him because you had like this closeness and this bonding that you always sort of talk about, you know, between each other that like, you know, and the other woman that like, you know, it was like the perfect storm to make it feel like so much more was really there than maybe was. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that you didn't have that strong bond in the time that you were together. You weren't super close and didn't have it. But like to be so long after and now you're with somebody else to still not be able to let it go. Like, I feel like it, it must be about something else in you Right, because it well, doesn't make sense. I mean, like, how long did you know him for? Um, Rob, yeah, the guy I'm dating. No, um, Rob. it would have been it's over a year now. You were no, but how long um, were you together for? Oh, about four months. Yeah, so think about it. Like, how come you know oh, yeah. a year later you can't get over a four month thing? Right? Like, it doesn't. It's not like you're with him four years. It's four months. So you right. have to think to well, yourself like it's not. It's, it's not that it doesn't I think make it's sense. Two things. If I had to psychoanalyze it, I think it's two things. I think one, um, you can see your own demons in somebody else a lot easier than yourself. Yeah. And during that period, like probably right around when you were interviewing him, like three weeks before I heard the podcast. I called him out because, you know, it seems like every time we went on a date, he'd be like, oh, my God, I need a meeting. And I'm like, how long has it been since you went to a meeting? Two weeks. And it just seemed like his his full-time relationship was taking him away from his program. He didn't have a sponsor. He didn't have sponsors. He wasn't going to meetings. He had a service position that kicked him out of because he was flaking on it. And I wrote him a scathing email when we were dating about like kind of like tough love like look dude if you need to kick me out of your life to get your shit together then you need to do that um and it was really like I could he was starting to relapse without using and I knew and I saw that in him because I was starting to do that too and so I think I needed that relationship because I could see how close he was to going over the edge and really it was me who needed the advice I was giving him Right, so in a weird way, is, the losing him was lo- like he signifies you in a weird way. I, all I'm trying to point out is that it's like it's not about like when you start to look at when you get to the point where you could look like let go of thinking about him and try to look at what it is that he sort of is a symbol of that you can't let go. Then you'll be able to let go of him. It's not him right. that you can't let go. It's like something that he stands for. And maybe that's some part of yourself or whatever it is. I just, and I think when you're ready for that, you'll see it and you'll see it really clearly. And that's when you'll be able to let go because you are in another relationship now. How long have you been dating your new guy? Um, Just about four months. Right. But then you really like him. I do. Um, so there's another aspect to Rob, which is, I think, why it's so sticky. And it really, it doesn't have too much to do with him. It's me. Like, I am a sex addict. Mm -hmm. 
So I get sexually addicted to people. Rob is, you know, from his story, if you listen to his podcast, you know, he was sexualized as a, at a young age and learned how to work women as his only sense of worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was into cuckolding and all this stuff because he got to then screw, you know, that cheerleader who wouldn't give him the time of day, her in front of her man, and that got him off. Um, and so I became sexually addicted to him and dependent on him. You know, was he the sex me like, like porn. amazing with him? I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't really good, but I also think. I am a sex addict, so I, you know, compulsive, addictive, risky sex is how I feel love, which mm-hmm. I know now is not love. Right. So he was able to, like, show me love the only way I could kind of receive it. And I think that's why, you know, that he, I confuse emotional and sexual dependence for nurturing and support. And that right. is so because you had a certain kind addiction. of, right. So it's because you had a certain kind of sex with him. It made you feel like there was this intense love, but now that you're coming into your own right. and really realizing it, the more you realize that, the more you realize it wasn't love and you'll be able to, all I'm just saying is like, cause I've had those sort of attachments that you are really hard to let go and I have to say when you finally let go of them and you finally will eventually it really feels like you got out of fucking jail you know and I just can't wait (laughs) till you get to that with him but it takes time you know what I mean um and that's the only reason why I'm talking about it because I've been stuck in that place and it's a I know it's not a big part of you right now. So much of you is doing really well and you've moved on in a lot of areas. But the, even if you have that little thing, it'll just feel so good when you just like clip that off and you're done with him because it's not really him. But it right. is a, because it's a deeper thing. It just could take time, you know, but you started. Well, and off, I think. Yeah. Are you being in like I'm actually in what I think is a healthy relationship yeah. now and I've never been in one before. So uh-huh. like the stability and the growing deeper with a person and the open communication feels weird to me. Like I'm used to drama and hectic and compulsive and addicting and porn star sex. And right. the fact that it's like, yeah, this is like flat, more nurturing. Yeah. It feels wrong. Cause like, this guy doesn't actually like me because he won't scream me like a porn star and treat me like shit. Or I don't really like him because yeah, I'm not doing that to him. Yeah, it doesn't have um, that feeling, so, that same feeling, like, of intensity. Right. And so I think that's where the raw thing can come in because, you know, like, I, I am trained to, like, that's what I want. But I actually know that's not what I want. And I don't consent to wanting that anymore. It's like I have to retrain my brain and repattern it to... to Give myself permission to have something good and healthy. Yeah, and that's what you're doing and with that's the new the person. Part. And how did you? Because you started yeah. with the new person, right? Being poly, right? And then somehow you guys decided. I'm assuming very early on, because you're only four months into it, to close it up and be have a more regular relationship, right? And be monogamous. How did that happen? Um, I was like purposely abstinent, celibate for the first five months of my sobriety and in, in um, you know, the 12-step programs. And um, we met through a friend of a friend. And the first time we met, we just, like, said, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And then the next time we hung out, this friend of mine, who I'm not friends with anymore, she actually, like, like told him behind my back that I was poly and that I was kinky and all this stuff that I didn't consent to her telling him. Right. So we're just standing um you know at this event and she'll come over and be like oh you know you're both poly and we look at each other like oh i didn't know that and okay like you must be trying to hook us up or you wouldn't have said something like that 
turns out that very day he went to his first like poly kink class at like an alternative <laughs> lifestyle kind of event and he was like yeah like i've never really been in a deep relationship and i can't hear you hello <laughs> i yeah sorry um he had never really been in a long-term deep relationship and just monogamy always felt so sort of like catholic guilt to him so he was trying out polyamory uh-huh. and i had I had claimed to be poly prior to getting sober and kind of through sobriety. I'm like, I don't know if I'm really poly or if it was just a label I wore to give me an excuse to always have an out to always be screwing someone else. Yeah. Um, and so we dated for a month and like, you know, we were both like free to date other people. Um, and because if this is why I'm a sex addict, because I, I was only seeing him, but because I knew he was on Tinder and, like, maybe might one day date some other, in my mind, tiny 20-year-old blonde cheerleader type, um, you know, I had to go get a little arsenal of men so that I would have people and he went on other dates. Right, just and for so when I he leaves up, you, for when he abandons you. Right. Yeah. And it was funny because he was kind of like, you know, I might, he's, he's like, mid-30s. He's like, you know, I occasionally might want to, like, you know, bang like a college girl or something I'm like right uh-huh and so within like a week I found like a 23 year old guy uh-huh. <laughs> and he and he um you know still hadn't wasn't seeing anyone else and then I kind of started we decided if we were gonna go on a date with somebody else we let each other know and of course being the shithead that I am like I didn't let him know and he kind of caught me and I told you know in that whole story of me going on a date with somebody else the next day not telling him and yeah. he kind of knew and then asked and I didn't want to lie you know I realized that that 23 year old even though it was kind of the best sex I've had in a long time was so unstable this dude was like living at his mom's house working in his parents business like had nothing going for him but he was great in the sack yeah but it wasn't worth losing this thing that actually felt like it had potential to like keep that out yeah you know that way out with this 20 year old dude and in that conversation, which was kind of a fight and then turned into, like, really cute, he asked me to be his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And we agreed that in order to see where we could go, we needed to not try to cultivate anything with anyone else. Yeah, I think that's and a good idea, especially in the there. beginning, right? Like, just for a while, just to build your foundation for your guy's relationship, right? Because you don't even know each other, right? right? I mean, this is a stranger. You only know each other for months right so if you're like I would think even for for anybody that wants to bring other people in whether you're poly or you're swingers I think it's always a good idea to spend you know a a good significant amount of time with someone else just being like intimate with them and getting to know them and getting a really solid foundation and then sort of opening it up though some people would say that I'm totally wrong because some people maybe are very poly and could do it I don't know but I think you can't go wrong I have I know that it we've talked about this since because you know I'm working the steps and I'm trying to get in therapy now and I'm doing all this self-work and me just accepting him for who he is and needing to be radically honest about what comes up for me has actually sparked or catalyzed his own self-betterment process. And we both said, like, if we were allowed to see other people, we would have both, like, had a side piece already and not actually stuck through, like, the hard kind of having to own your own emotions or clean up your side of the street kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you have that way out of, like, oh, it's kind of tense with my girlfriend, 
I'm going to go on a date with somebody else tonight. It gives you a way to not actually feel those feelings or like realize your responsibility in them. Right. So things become a little bit more disposable, right? It's, Right. We've both been really happy that, like, man, if we were allowed to see other people, like, I don't think I would have actually grown this much already for myself. Right. In the four months. And imagine a year from now, maybe because you both were poly people before looking for that and you you sort of don't totally buy into the monogamy thing. Like, maybe after you're monogamous for a year or something, like, you guys will open it up and be able to do the poly thing. But I think it's good for right now, especially because... Not that you're on shaky ground, but like, you know, they say in AA, and I was sober my first year and did all kinds of crazy things, but they say like in AA, right, you go, like you should not have like, don't change jobs, don't get in relationships, don't do anything that first year. And everybody always does, right? (laughs) Because you're just like so uncomfortable sitting in your own skin sober that I like did a lot of things that first year and like whatever, you know? Um, so I, I think, you know, to not make that even more confusing because you're dealing with a lot of things right now, you know, it's probably best to keep that relationship as simple as possible because I mean, how are you going to be juggling? You're really doing a lot of work on yourself, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, the fact that you have time to cultivate a relationship with somebody else while you're, you know, fixing your relationship with yourself is, is great, but you don't have relation. You don't have any more fucking time left. You're also work. You know what I mean? Like you, it's too much, too much on your plate, right? It has been, it's been really, you know, because my first five months of sobriety was spent not dating anyone and now just dating one person. Yeah. Things have come up in just focusing on him that like I don't think would have come up had I not been dating somebody. Right. Like it's and just, just bringing weird up... stuff. Yeah, like, that's good. My they call it data to myself in relationships. <laughs> yeah, they call it my, my therapist would call it data. And I would always say like people say like, oh, if you're have you're not good at relationships or you have problems, like stay out of them and don't date it. It's like, no, like how are you going to work on yourself unless you're actually in something like that's where the shit comes out, right? Like my commitment issues would never come up when I'm by myself. That's the fucking glory right. time. You know what I mean? It's so easy. It's when I'm in a relationship with somebody and somebody's getting super close to me that shit comes up. And that's the only time you could really know where your problems lie and where the work you need to do is right um so i I think you're right i think it's good to be in relationships when you're working on some stuff on yourself because it brings it up and it shows you exactly the parts of yourself you need to work on it brings you that data that you need to see like oh this is where i need work or whatever so i think you're totally right and i think that it's good i don't think you need to spend the whole year without a relationship you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's been really supportive. His dad has like 20 years in AA, so he's kind of familiar. And oh, like, that's great. I've been, the last few days I've been like kind of ragey because I had some shit come up with my ex-husband where like I couldn't get new insurance until I got him to send me evidence of a claim. Uh-huh. And when I call and call her ID, his name still comes up. So I got really triggered. And I'm just like, he's just very understanding when I can actually say this is what's going on. But I'm in the middle of working step two in which I don't believe I'm insane. So why would I want to be restored to sanity? <laughs> you know, right. and like that. And he knows that, that my whole stuff. world has turned insane. So right. I believe it now. <laughs> and he, yeah, because and his like, dad knows all this stuff and he, he understands what you're talking about when you use that language and stuff, right? Right. So he's been really, really supportive and... um you know, sometimes I feel like I don't deserve him. <laughs> yeah, but I know that's also me 
like in the addiction too. Like I deserve shitty things. I'm a shitty person, you know. Right, and you're sober. You go to N A N A A, right? I mean, you do you do both. Actually, I go to I go to A A and I go to S A A. Um, right, sex and so, sex and uh, love addiction stuff. Is that what that is? Um, yeah, I identify just as a sex addict because I really I don't know what love is. I think love is just <laughs> yeah. lust with dependency or jealousy attached to it. Right. Um, so, and you know, I this it, I could go on forever about this, but um, you know, there's a little there's a, our society. I would claim is more sexist than racist, which I guess is charged. But the men in SAA are like, you know, sex offenders, pedophilia people, addicted to pornography, like real hardcore shit. And the women who go in are just sluts, you know. <laughs> so it's pretty funny, but I do feel like, you know, I used to like get men drunk so that they would hit on me. You know, I had a few controlling rules, like I'll never make the first move. Or, you know, first sex is not at my house. They're just weird, stupid shit, like controlled drinking, basically. And I realized that I, you know, I'm, I never, growing up in a household which objectified and was very misogynistic towards my mother, I just thought that's how people were. were. Right. I didn't know that was how men were to women. I thought everybody was like that. Right. So I just acted like that. Um, and I realized that's how I go to sex addiction meetings, because I act like that. You know, I objectify men, and I don't think men have feelings. I think all men just want laid. I think that I hold the keys to the castle. I, you know, it's just total ego power tripping. And I think because women are sort of second-class citizens, it actually means, like, you have to bow down in order to get laid by us. <laughs> so, like, that whole power trip just, like, you know, I can actually feel just talking about it, like, my adrenaline and, like, my dopamine is just... I love that stuff. And right, so that gets really you kind of high. Right, it's been hard even in my monogamous relationship when I get triggered or something to not go seduce my boyfriend. Right. You know, <laughs> because and, you know, the I hard want thing, though, about that release. Right, but the hard thing about sort of sex addiction, right? I mean, alcohol is like something that you could, I've been alcohol free for 14 years and it's very easy to live a life without alcohol. You don't need alcohol to survive. But sex is a part of a relationship, right? And that's where there's like a weird sort of gray area in those kinds of addictions. It's like when people are anorexics or bulimics, it's so hard because like they have to eat food, right? To live, but they have to like cut out certain things that deal with food, right? And so when you're a sex addict, it's hard because you're working on your sex addiction while you're in a relationship and you have to have sex with your partner, right? And it's okay. Like some people would say, like once you really clean up your act and you're okay, like there's no big deal if you seduce your partner every now and then, but because that's like your issue, you have to be like on top of it, always sort of scrutinizing everything. But I think, you know, five years, 10 years down the line when you really like are, you know, coming out of this and you have more of your feet on the ground like you know you'll realize that there is some power and some seduction that women have and a little bit that is that is okay you know it's like nature it's okay it's like it's not such a bad thing right um it's just a bad thing when you use it to get like what you say like that high and it's like an ego it's attached to ego you know because it's not well and when you you do it without regard that the other person has feelings Right. going to mixed men and women sex addict meetings, I'm learning that, like, oh, men are people too. Right. (laughs) Just because 
society has trained them to not talk about their feelings doesn't mean they don't have them. Yeah. And that's like, I'm still learning that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, please, I have a son. He has feelings, as many feelings as any little girl has. <laughs> I mean, you know, they both come out through the same way. But there is a definite difference between men and women. And, you know, a part of your sort of women do have power in their sexuality. And there's a lot of stuff attached to it. And all of that stuff is like good stuff when it's done in a healthy way, you know. But when it's, you know, sort of done through a, in a dysfunctional way, it becomes like a bad thing, though a lot of the things you're talking right. about aren't necessarily bad, right? But for you right now, they are and you have to be checking yourself all the time, right? And that's where it's difficult, yeah. I think, you know, because you are having sex with your boyfriend and you are having an intimate relationship. So you have to be like, oh, am I being triggered and doing this with him, you know? And um, so I give you credit because you have a lot on your plate right now and you're doing well. How long are you sober for right now? Um, because I am <laughs> seasonally aligned, my sobriety date is March 21st, the spring equinox. And since we just hit the summer solstice, I have nine months. Wow, that's great. You're going to be at a year before you know it. And that's like a big thing, you know. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah, it's, you know, but one of the hard parts is my family is still very much in denial. But I think that's because my stepdad is an active alcoholic. My father's a porn addict. And my mom is just whatever addiction of choice she has at the moment. Um, So it feels like because I didn't, get arrested for prostitution or have a DUI or lose, you know, a house or a job specifically for like looking at porn or work or something like that. They're like, Oh, you just need to get over this. Like you're not really an addict. You want to be an addict. So you can be like countercultural and like, <laughs> you know, make people have to think. Right. Or my mom labels, for a long right. still, yeah. yeah. My mom still thought that like, Oh, the only reason you had that many boyfriends is because, you know, if one of them was boring you, you'd sleep with the other one to get the first one mad. And I was like, no, mom, like that's a step too advanced for me. <laughs> I was just doing it to soothe my wounds. And I didn't even register that these human beings had feelings. Right. You know, it wasn't. To it was just about you. It was to make it. you feel better. Right. right. To make you feel more secure in and the situation. It wasn't about whatever. Right. Right, and I wore the label polyamory, so it's like I have permission to sleep with other people. It's not like me cheating on the dude. Like, I'm doing whatever I want, So, and he knows that, so... Right. It's hard. Let me tell you, it's hard because not even with your parents, once you start going out in the world, like for me, like there was a lot of times where if I bring up to new people that I don't drink and then they get into the whole sober, like, you know, are you an addict? What does that mean? And like, you know, you start to learn to just like not give, like you make it like a very quick conversation and get over it. And then I love when sometimes when I see my old friends that knew me when I drank and they're like, oh, you were really bad. Because sometimes I forget myself and I'm like your parents. I'm like, why the fuck? Like, why do I think that I have a like why did I quit like what's you know and then I see a friend and we have a conversation and they're just like oh yeah you did the right thing you know and then when I'm really reminded and you know you don't need anyone to validate you but it is hard if you're around all these people and they know what you're going through and they're not support if not only are they not really supportive they're like telling you you're like wrong for what you're doing I mean you know but that's I do notice yeah. Now in sobriety, I find, well, I also don't eat, I'm vegan, so I don't eat meat or dairy or animal products. And I find, like, I don't like, I like to be in the closet kind of about not drinking and not eating meat because as soon as you tell somebody, oh, I don't drink, nine times out of ten, they start defending why they drink. 
Or if I say, oh, I don't eat meat, it's not like, oh, that's a personal choice I respect, like saying I'm Jewish or something. It's like, oh, I could never do that. Or these are the reasons why you should, you know, all this whole thing. And I'm like, look, man, like, I'm I'm not even proselytizing here. Like yeah, something came like up in you which do. I had to right. reveal that. Yeah. And now you're being dis- like you're acting like me saying I don't do this because it's not good for me. Like I'm judging your personal choices, which I'm not and I'm not that type of person with drinking or with animal stuff. I just find it really interesting as a culture that people get very defensive about your own choices. And for me, that indicates they have some measure of shame about their choices. Uh, maybe, yeah. I've never really understood why, but I get that all the time, too. And I always think it's, like, weird. It's like, I don't care that you drink. I don't even think it's bad that you drink. I can't drink. Just like I and I don't care that you eat unhealthy. I just, like, I'm really into eating healthy. But, like, I would never look at you and ask you why you don't. But people will look at you and be like, you know. And I think it's just, like, what's popular and what the majority is. People just think is, like, I don't know what it is. But it's you. You do get it. I've always got it through in the same way, and I think it's really bizarre because I think the people that are like me and you aren't the type of people that would ever be telling somebody else what to do. It's like who cares? But yet the people that are in the majority are the type of people that want to tell them what to do. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so bizarre. Right. Um, and uh, and I, I don't really mind hanging out with what I would call normal people, not addicts, who do drink because. I tend to live very much like I am who I am, take it or leave it. And yeah. I think when normal people drink, they kind of get that way. So it's much easier for us to communicate because they're as uninhibited as I am every day. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm much more silly and animated because I'm not worried about being too much because I can't put on a booze now. So I just have to be who I am. Oh, yeah. I used to love getting guys drunk on dates because like, you know, because I wasn't drunk. But I'd be like, no, like you being drunk is as good as me being drunk. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's no different. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. you drink up. I'm totally fine with it because <laughs> I can't drink up. If you're like half cocked, then it's like no different. But um, but yeah, I totally get that. You know, I think it's great that you're nine months sober. I think it's great that you're in uh a, a new relationship. I think it's great that you're trying out the monogamy thing and just trying to get to know this person and know yourself. And I can't wait till you're over fucking Rob. Okay. Like, yeah, I, there's still some dynamic there where like, I, it's not, you know, it's not like I'm in love with him or I want to have his babies or I even want to be his girlfriend, but I want him to not be over me. Yes, there's something else going on. Yeah, and that's that power. It's that thing. <laughs> the reason why I brought it up is because you said, like, I realize about myself, I like to be the other woman because I get this and this and that out of it. And, like, you were the ultimate other woman for him, you know? And you lost power in that. He went back to the, the other woman won out over you. And I think that's, like, that was, like, your biggest fear. It was, like, what you were, go- you know? So I just think that that's, like that killed your story. And once you sort of resolve all this on within yourself, you'll get over him because it's not about him, but you still like, I could tell you're like eight months, like, cause you're not even at the place where what I say like rings true to you, even though what I'm saying is so <laughs> true. <laughs> you yeah. still keep bringing up his fucking name. It's not about him, but I, I, you know, so you're not close to letting him go, but eventually you'll start to realize that yourself 
And then after once you realize it, it'll be like, you know, six months from then because it still takes time. Even if you knew it, even if you know what I'm telling you is true, it still will be a little hard. But that's, you know, that's just a part of your process. And like, listen, when you get sober and you really start dealing with your stories and the dysfunction and all that stuff, like it's hard work. It doesn't, it's not, I always say this is not like the fucking movies. Things don't get magically better in a day it takes time and being sober as a sober person that I'm 14 years sober I used to think at two years I had been I was so changed and so much better (laughs) as a person and then six years down the line I look back and be like oh my god I thought at two years and now 10 years and then 14 years and you're always getting better and feeling stronger and your feet are more firmly on the ground and you're learning more about yourself so it's it, it takes a long time you know and it takes a while um but you're doing it and you're nine months into it and i think the hardest thing is to sort of get to the place where you really make that decision to be sober and you are you know you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to really admit that you have a problem and then start working on it, uh, you know, and you're nine right. months past that time. So you're well on your way. And I think that that's great. And I've noticed some like, uh, for example, I'm now like a year and four months into my job and I hadn't kept a job for more than a year for like what, three years prior to getting sober. And I even have a second job and both are like very professional. You need very advanced degrees to get both these jobs. Yeah. Um, so like, that's pretty awesome. Um, and I know that if I didn't get sober, I wouldn't have passed like my one year evaluation at this job. I wouldn't have the first six months of this job. I was getting three or four hours of sleep. I was showing up, like haven't showered or brushed my teeth from screwing somebody the night before, you know, it was so bad. I was taking naps in my car on my lunch break and shit. Um, <laughs> so I'm so glad that like I cleaned my ass up and, you know, kept this job, and after the first the year mark, I got these new responsibilities, and I've got to report stuff to big federal agencies and stuff. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I don't do resolutions, but I do what I call a spirit word or just a word of the year. Uh-huh. Um, and I've done this since 2012, and my word for this year was reclamation. What does and, that mean? And I picked... <laughs> Just like like reclaiming. reclaiming yourself, right? Okay, cool. Uh huh. And you said and that was so that I, was before you even got sober. Oh yeah, that was like December, January. Uh huh. Um, and I did not know how much that word was going to rock my world. Yeah. And I guess I forgot when I picked that world word that like, lady, you went to rehab when you were fifteen. Like, you're still an addict. You know, <laughs> like I had to reclaim all that. Um, oh, and you're reclaiming yourself. I got the chills when you just said that. There couldn't be anything more true because like I said before, and I do believe on some level things happen subconsciously before we even realize it. So I think, you know, like I said, and all those guys dumped you and when big changes are coming up, like there's hints of it way before it happens, you know, like on some level, you knew that this year was going to be that, you know? sort of called it I called it in you know yeah <laughs> for some reason I was like okay this is the year of reclamation okay but what is your word for this year it is time there you go that makes that makes and sense. I don't know what that's gonna be but I think it's time <laughs> I can tell you what that is that's just a year of like doing work and maybe not feeling like you're making any huge drastic 
leaps in your life, yet you are. And that's what always comes after a big, massive change, right? For me, in this, in the, like any kind of journey of awareness or self-betterment, I need to, I tell myself, don't get attached or fight for what it looks like, but fight for what it feels like. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so what what do you think like what you're fighting for now is? Is it just like the whole you? Is it like what is it that it would feel like for you that that you're looking for? Well, I think at this very moment I'm fighting for my sanity, but mm-hmm. that is also because I'm working step two, which is about being insane. Um, what am I fighting for? What it feels like? I want. I want. What do I want? I want to be happy, and I want to have integrity, and I don't want to have to guess at what that feels like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how old are you, Marie? I am 32. I just turned 32 um, in October. And how old's your guy? He is 34. 34. And you and you own a place. Do you own a house? Like, do you guys live together or planning on that or anything like um, that? No, I, I rent right now um, because my credit is shit because of the consequences of addiction. And um, he oh, this rents. Like somebody else too. bought a house with somebody. Yeah, go on. Sorry, I get my guests. Yeah, confused. he rents too. And I don't know that. I mean, we don't. We we're really taking the relationship like one day at a time. Um, right now I'm just learning how to be alone and to not busy myself and to not extrovert myself. And so I don't think it's probably healthy for me to actually live with anyone. Like I really need to savor coming home to my sanctuary. It's just me and my cats and I don't have to be responsible to or for anyone, but my own like basic hygiene. (laughs) I think it's funny because I say, people say like, oh, adulting. And I don't have problems adulting. I have problems like eight-year-old childing. I have problems like brushing my teeth before I go to bed, like doing the dishes. Like literally eight-year-old kid chores are like hard. Well, they always <laughs> say self-care with addicts and a lot of things. And you say eight, maybe that's like a, a time, you know, for when, because I always believe like when you go totally sober, you go back to a, a certain age, right? Where you sort of picked up or checked out. And like, so for me, I always like, I'm like, oh, I'm emotionally, you know, younger than I am chronologically because, you know, at 15, like I started drinking, you know, so I'm always like, I'm really like a 37 year old emotionally, you know, because I didn't really start <laughs> dealing with real life, uh, you know, until a couple of years ago, you know, 14 years ago. So, you know, there's something about that eight years old thing. So you're probably like eight years old in nine months right now. <laughs> and you count yeah. from there. No, I think. I think that's true because actually I, um, we talked about my ex-husband a little bit, but I met my ex-husband when I was 15 right after getting out of rehab and he became sort of like my savior. Mm -hmm. Um, And around 16, we were dating for a year and we were having sex. And I, you know, I recall I was having like a sex issue where he just wanted to bang more. And I was like, why are you just making out equal sex? And like, I want to explore sensuality and he basically shot me down, but he was my only sense of safety and security because my stepfather was an alcoholic. So yeah. I kind of just went with that. 
Um, and that's come up in my relationship. Like I had a moment a week ago where I was just, like uncontrollably sobbing in my boyfriend's arms because like just we had kind of an issue where, you know, I got very good at learning men and fulfilling men's fantasies. I don't know what it's like to ask for my own sexual needs to be met. I don't even know what my own sexual needs are. Um, and him and I, like, working through that and me feeling safe and comfortable asking for something and him as a man not taking it as an ego blow that he's perfect instantly. You know, for me, that brought up all this shit when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was able to, like, hold me while I was, like, there in my 16-year-old self having the last time I had that conversation with anyone. First year is hard. You're lucky you have a guy that's like not fucking running for the hills when you're like sobbing because, you know, (laughs) he brings up your 16 year old self, you know, because that could be like, what the fuck is going on to like somebody else, right? But that's where you're at and you're going to have those things come up for you because that's what happens when you take your addictions out of your life and you're totally sober. Like you, you feel things and things come up and that's what you need to happen. So at least you have a guy who's able to sort of stick with you when you, like I said, are like sobbing for that because some people would think that you're fucking nuts, you know, and, but he's well, cool I with am it. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. And this <laughs> is like, it's a nutty time when you get sober. You know, when I look back and think of the things that I did, I was a little crazy afterwards because you're just, it's like, you know, you're just coming into your own, but you, you certainly need a lot of time before your feet really sort of settle onto the ground. It takes time, you know, but, and the only way you could ever get to that is to go through what you're going through, you know? And so it's like nine, you're nine months closer to that point where you start to feel that and get there. So it's so great. And like, look, we're like at an, almost an hour. It's like, I, it's like, I don't know that I could even pair you with anyone else. I'll just do this as a whole episode. Do you think, let me ask you this, cause I'm going to wrap it up. Do you know if Rob knows, cause I haven't gotten in touch with him yet. Maybe you could give me his email. Um, cause I can't find it for some reason cause I found him on Craigslist. So some people from Craigslist, I don't oh, have yeah. their email, but, um, do you know if he knows that you called in and never heard your episode? I told him. Oh, you did. But I don't think he ever responded cause it was just a text and it was after we weren't speaking. Yeah, but he must so, have listened. Don't you think? I don't know that he did. And I wonder if he's going to listen to this. He's going to hate my guts because all I'm like, oh, it's not Rob. You don't really like him. He was a fucking asshole. He was pretty defensive (laughs) when you talked to him. He got really defensive. Yeah, he didn't Um, think I was right. And I thought it was just, it was so funny because I listened to your podcast with him on it maybe a week after you put it on the air. Yeah. And I was, and I decided to like go get my nails done and sit there and listen to it. And I was just like jaw dropped. Because all the stuff you were talking about was had just happened in our relationship, like that very weekend. Right, one week and later. Yet you had recorded it like a month prior. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this woman is good. If anybody listening wants to listen to your first episode, it's fucking fascinating. I'll have the episode number in the, you know, the writing thing that I do. And they should listen to Rob's thing, too. And uh, we'll talk next year and find out what time means for you. And let's see what your, how your relationship is with your new guy. So keep me posted. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right, thanks, Marie. Thanks for calling in, and good luck with everything in the new year. Thanks. Bye. All right, bye. Bye. Do you have a story, lifestyle, 
or situation you can't talk about to anyone, to anyone? Or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show? Well, Strictly Anonymous wants to hear from you. Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is Strictly Anonymous. Strictly Anonymous.